Hey, it's Madison, the Black Eagle, and here's a highlight from today's show. Let's go to uh, Senator Kane. And Senator uh, Senator Kane, first of all, uh, let me say congratulations on, and it's well deserved on on the NAACP U.S. Senate voting rights legislative uh, scorecard. You got A. Well, Joe, I'm really happy about that. I knew that they were coming out with the scores, and I was crossing my fingers when I heard the news. Um, the, the, the real issue is I, I, I would still give myself a – what's the grade when it's incomplete? It, it, I'll get an A with, when we get voting rights done. Um, and we're getting closer and closer. I'm co-sponsoring both the Lewis Bill and the um, Freedom to Vote Act, but we are also now talking about how do we make it happen in a Senate where we're not going to get a single Republican vote for voting rights reform. Now, it, walk us through that process, Senator Kane, when you say you're working on it and without revealing any, you know, inside back channel conversation. Just educate my listeners on what what's going on. Is it in, are you talking with people on the other side of the aisle? Or are you now there were like 13 senators, uh, Democratic senators who got an incomplete. And I understand they're they're now reviewing their their reply to the uh, scorecard. Uh, And and I got to thank uh, Mark Warner, who did get an incomplete. He's a friend. Uh, And he's he came out very he came out yesterday with a strong statement suggesting that the. Uh, the that the uh, filibuster there should be a carve out for the filibuster because this whole these bills you co-sponsor it's not about public policy this is about protecting democracy am I am I right in that assessment Joe ever since you know January 6th of 2021 it's clear that what we need to do is protect democracy I mean there were other signs and 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 challenges along the way too but the big lie that led to the attack on the Capitol to disrupt the peaceful transfer of power, that same big lie being repeated in state legislatures around the nation to carve back people's voting rights. We have to respond to that and protect people's right to participate. So so let me tell you what we are working on right now. And, and it has been slow, and I know to activists, painfully slow. But what we did is we, we first worked really hard to come up with a bill, the Freedom to Vote Act, that Joe Manchin not only would say I support, but that he was willing to be a co-sponsor of, and that took a number of months. Um, he's and Joe has always been for the John Lewis Act, but we needed to get him on this bill to to try to create, you know, a minimum set of federal standards for federal elections that states cannot play with. Um, since that time, which was September when we introduced the bill, we've acknowledged a, a, a reality. First, we had to test it. Um, that we would not get any Republican support for voting rights. As you know, in the past, the Republican Party, up until the age of Obama, was a pro-voting rights party in many, many ways. But they did a 180, and they're still unwilling to support vigorous protection of voting. But we still went out with the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis bill for about two and a half months and did everything we could to get Republican sponsors. We, we put the bill on the floor and said, just vote to debate the bill, and then we'll entertain amendments. We'll guarantee you unlimited amendments so you can make the bill better. We asked them, give us a counterproposal if you don't like this. Actually, the Republicans in late October promised they would give us a counterproposal in a week. Then they wanted another week. Then they wanted another week, and they never really gave us a, 
a counterproposal. So we eventually proved to everyone, but especially to the 50 Democrats, that there was going to be zero Republican help on this. I will say Lisa Murkowski was willing to cast a vote to proceed to debate the Lewis bill just to debate it. She did not cast a, a yes vote to debate the Freedom to Vote Act, but she was a yes vote on the Lewis bill, at least to debate it. So now what we do, Joe, is this. We've, we've proven to everyone that there will be no Republican help. We have two senators, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, who have publicly said they will not abolish the filibuster. We have some others who may not have said it publicly, but they would be reticent to abolish the filibuster. But they haven't said we couldn't reform Senate rules. So a number of senators and I have been engaging in what we call family discussions with small groups of the Democrats, five, six at a time, sometimes one-on-one, -on -one, to explore what rule changes could we make that would restore the Senate to doing what it's supposed to do and enable us to pass a voting rights bill, even though we know we'll have no Republican support. In this, I give Amy Klobuchar some credit. I give Jeff Merkley some credit. And then my colleagues, John Tester, Angus King, and I have been having intense discussions with Joe Manchin about hey, if not an abolition of the filibuster, what about this? You mentioned Senator Warner talking about a voting rights carve-out. That's one of the proposals that's been on the table. But there are other proposals on the table, too. For example, um, uh, the notion of a talking filibuster. Um, if, if, instead of a carve-out for one type of thing, if you want to filibuster a bill, take the floor and hold the floor, and when, you're, when, when debate is over, it moves to simple majority. The purpose of the filibuster was to draw attention to an issue so that the minority might be able to convince the American public and the majority that, hey, we're about to go the wrong direction, let's not do it. It was not meant to be a veto, and so we would restore the filibuster to its, its historic place as a as a talking filibuster live on stage, you know, from Mr. Smith goes to Washington, um, and uh, and everybody can see where everybody stands on issues that are important enough to to warrant a filibuster. We think if we could move to a talking filibuster instead of this current, you know, you don't even have to show up filibuster. If we could move to a talking filibuster, we could get voting rights done. But it would also restore the Senate in a broader way to being the deliberative debating body that it ought to be. So that's a long answer. We're not quite there, but we've made huge progress among the 50 in getting people willing to contemplate not abolition of the filibuster, but rules reforms that will make the Senate work better on voting rights and, other, and on other things, too. Now, on your talking filibuster, Senator King, correct me if I'm wrong, it, it, not only do you have to hold the floor, but is, it, it, did I understand that uh, 40 senators would have to be in their seats while the talking filibuster is going on? We're, we're looking at different options, Joe. That's one. Here's another one we're looking at right now. <clears throat> we make it too easy on the filibustering party to, to block the majority. It's essentially a veto power. Um, so what we're looking at is could we flip the burden and put the burden on the filibustering party to maintain the filibuster rather than on the non-filibustering party to break the filibuster? You could do it this way. In the middle of a continuous debate, somebody stands up and we'll use voting rights and they're, you know, arguing against voting rights, then, then a Democrat could stand up immediately and say, I renew the cloture motion, the motion to end debate. Instead of taking 60 votes to end debate, we would require that 41 have to vote against the motion, have to basically vote to continue the debate. And if you do that, you know, say you're on the floor for 
two or three days or two or three weeks mm-hmm. with a Democrat making the motion, hey, I move that we end debate. And the and the Republican Party that wants to filibuster voting rights continually has to have 41 people ready to vote to continue the debate. Middle right. of the night, you know, early in the morning, mid-afternoon, day after day after day, that would be one way that the filibuster would end. Another way is there's a current Senate rule, Rule 19, that's not enforced that much, but it's been on the books forever, that says no one can speak more than twice on a single topic. So if the Republicans really wanted to go to the mat to stop you know, voting rights, well, they could each speak, but after they've each spoken twice, then debate is over and you move to passage on simple majority. Or wow. if debate breaks, the current rule says if nobody stands up to debate, you notice mm-hmm. hmm, there's no one debating, let's move to passage on simple majority. So it uses the current Senate rules, two speeches, or, um, you mm-hmm. know, if there's a break in debate, you move to, to passage, but it puts the burden on the filibustering party to maintain the filibuster rather than putting the burden on the majority to break the filibuster. Now, the, 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 let me also ask you, uh, the, 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 these organizations these right-wing extremist organizations, the Fox, the Fox commentators, uh, you know, the other folks, all they're now all over the social media and now on television, saying that the problem with the two bills, the John Lewis bill and the Freedom Bill, is unconstitutional. Can you speak to that, and can we dispel that lie? Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's do John Lewis first and then the Freedom to Vote Act. So John Lewis, um, the John Lewis Act is essentially to repair uh, the Shelby versus Mississippi decision in precisely the way the Supreme Court said Congress could repair it. So in a way, the Supreme Court has already said that the the preclearance proceedings that were in the Voting Rights Act, Section 5, of the Voting Rights Act, those are legitimate. It's just that in Shelby, the court struck down the required jurisdictions that had to preclear and said, look, just saying that because these states were bad in the 1960s, they continue to have to preclear and other jurisdictions don't, you've got to rethink that. And so we have rethought it, um, as you know, in a super even-handed way. The John Lewis bill basically says, okay, we're going to apply the same standard north, south, east, west, midwest. It does, it's not you know, southern states, it's if your state has had a pattern of voting rights violations in the last number of years, then you have to submit voting rights changes for preclearance until you're at least 10 years beyond any voting rights violation. So it it applies a uniform standard to every jurisdiction. And the Supreme Court in Shelby said that preclearance was fine, but they said that you just had to do a better job of determining which jurisdictions must preclear. So this one, I think, it's almost like the Supreme Court has told us how the, how we need to do it so that it will be constitutional. There's no constitutional issue with John Lewis. On the Freedom to Vote Act, what the uh, right-wing Republicans are saying is it's federalizing elections, which are for states. Um, well, Joe, they're overstating it. it. It creates minimum federal standards for federal elections, Congress, Senate, the president, but it, it doesn't create standards for state and local elections. And the Constitution specifically gives Congress the power to create standards for federal elections. And Congress has done so in the past. Voting Rights Act, Motor Voter, other standards that 
that uh, regard, regarding the elections that Congress has passed that have been upheld in the courts. And so, you know, they're, they're, they're basically saying it's a federal takeover of, of elections. No way. It is setting minimum federal standards for federal elections, and Congress has the specific mm-hmm. ability to do that in the Constitution. And I and and again, thank you for doing that because you know this was so clear. Um, uh, and I'm thinking as you were talking, I'm thinking about your state that you represent in the in the Senate, and these uh, I, I've read where there's 425 uh, bills that have been introduced. Uh, some of them are boilerplate legislation that was actually written by right-wing organizations like the uh, Heritage Advancement uh, Group, which is an a, a offshoot of uh, the Heritage Foundation. Uh, how, how has, if this passes in your state and other states like Wisconsin, Michigan, Arizona, uh, just looking at your state, what would change as it, as it as it relates to voting in 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 the Commonwealth of Virginia? Well, Joe, let me let me tell you a really interesting Virginia story, okay. and I'm, then I'll get to answer your question. But it's a story that shows that broader voting rights is good for everybody. This isn't just a Democratic thing, as you point out. It's a democracy thing, and it's good for Democrats, Republicans, and Independents. So we just had a governor's election in Virginia. And it didn't go the way I wanted. The Republican candidate, Glenn Youngkin, won. But in one way, it was a victory for small-D democracy. Why? Because the turnout in the race was 25% higher than the turnout in the governor's race four years before, where a Democrat won. Why was it higher? Why did it go up 25%? Well, it went up 25% because in 2019, Virginians elected two Democratic houses, and they embraced a positive voting rights bill that turned Virginia from one of the hardest states in the country to vote to one of the most convenient states in the country to vote. 45 days of early voting in person or by mail. Um, You know, we really made it convenient for people to vote. And so turnout went up by 25 percent, which is great. And a Republican won the governorship by 1.8 points. The 25 percent increase between 2017 and 2021, to my quick review, was the second biggest jump ever in Virginia gubernatorial turnout. The biggest jump was when my father-in-law was elected governor in 1969. He ran Linwood Holton in 1965 and lost. Then he ran again in 1969, and he won as a Republican, and the turnout had went up 65% between the two elections. Why did it go up 65%? Because the U.S. Supreme Court in Virginia versus Harper struck down poll taxes in 1966. So the lesson of these two elections is the same. When you clear out obstacles that are put in people's paths and you enable more people to vote, more people vote. And it's not just Democrats who vote. Republicans vote. Independents vote. It's good for democracy. So in Virginia, the the changes that were made by our Democratic legislature dramatically increased turnout. Now we have one Republican House and a Republican governor. I don't think they're going to go back once they've realized, wait, these changes were actually good. I don't think in Virginia they're going to go back and try to roll it back. If they do, the Democratic House, the Democratic Senate will stop them. 
But if the Freedom to Vote Act passes, it just guarantees that Virginia and West Virginia, Wisconsin and Arizona, has to have a minimum level of, um, uh, of availability of early voting. Uh, states can't allow legislatures to seize control of declaring the victor away from election officials. States can't decide to selectively audit jurisdictions, as you know, Joe, because, I mean, you're, you're the national, you know, kind of lead on this in terms of educating folks about it. States like Pennsylvania and Arizona and Wisconsin, they're, they're uh, Georgia, they're doing these selective audits. We want to come in and audit Fulton County. We want to come in and audit Maricopa County. We want to come in and audit Milwaukee or Philadelphia. But they don't audit. They only audit jurisdictions that voted for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. They don't audit rural jurisdictions that voted for Donald Trump. So uh -huh. what the Freedom to Vote Act does is guarantee access. It also guarantees that states can't pull schemes and stunts like selective audits. Um, it also uh, requires that campaign contributions all be public so that secret money can't flood uh, campaign ads, that everybody has got to know who's behind campaign ads. Um, and it also does gerrymandering reform. So the Freedom to Vote Act is a very robust bill. And again, it's uh, minimum federal standards for federal elections. Okay. That's what I'm going to, uh, you know, you are so clear, Senator, and I appreciate it. Uh, and I appreciate the time. And I, I will, uh, you know, let your fellow Democrats know I'm going to stay on this hunger strike and join in solidarity with you and others. And, and I'm hoping that, you know, we can we can all get to this what is needed, this bill passed by the end of the year. And I know you, all of you are working hard on it. So. We'll, 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 we'll be in meetings today, John. Listen, I'm praying for you. When I heard about your hunger strike, it's it's characteristic of you. But I'm also just, you know, praying for your health and praying that we get to that day where, yeah. you know, we, well, we can celebrate. We can well, celebrate a victory. You, and as you know, people have sacrificed a lot more than a meal. Uh, so thank you uh, for coming on, Senator. Thank you. Very Absolutely, much. Joe. Great to All talk right. today. As President Obama said, don't get mad. Vote. <laughs> Let me get to Senator Gary Peters. <laughs> oh, goodness. Am I right, Senator Peters? <laughs> well, it's great to, to hear you, Joe. Uh, yes, uh, we have to just keep working at this diligently. There's just no question about it. I, I know, um, and I'm so glad that you called you and, and wanted to come on. I was with the uh, NAACP uh, this Monday at a, a, a staff retreat, and they handed me their their voting rights uh, scorecard, and you showed up as an incomplete. So I thought, you know, look, we're friends. I know you understood the importance of how, especially in Michigan, what they're doing to try to manipulate the uh, voting uh, laws there. And I thought I'd give you an opportunity to uh, to talk to the audience. Well, no, I appreciate that, and it's a pleasure to be uh, on uh, with you once again. We've been, you know, you've had I've had the privilege of being on your program many times, and and I also wanted to start off just saying uh, the courage and what you're doing on your hunger strike is uh, just to show us once again your total commitment to voting rights in this country and doing what it takes uh, to make it happen that people have an opportunity to exercise their constitutional rights and the assurance that when they do exercise those rights, those voices, voices are actually heard. So I just want to 
say thank you for for all that you're doing. Uh, and you know, this is an issue that I've been focused on from the beginning uh, as well. This is I've never deviated, uh, and we ha- have to uh, make sure that people have the opportunity to to actually vote and and work uh, to make sure that that is uh, protected. It is fundamental to our democracy, uh, our democratic republic. Uh, if if people uh, can vote and don't have trust uh, that these are free and fair elections, then then we will lose something very precious, and we have to fight for it uh, aggressively, which is what we are doing right now. You mentioned uh, the uh, the NAACP uh, scorecard. Uh, we we mm-hmm. we saw that uh, out. Uh, we immediately reached out because we said, I don't understand why this is uh, happening. Uh, and let's clarify it and provided all the many statements I have made uh, over the over many months, uh, including, I believe, on your program as well. So I'm happy that that's been changed, and they, they have me uh, back with uh, with the A rating uh, oh, on good. this issue. Excellent, excellent, good, good. So, yeah, because that was going to be my first question, you know, uh, uh, what happened, what happened? And, and sometimes it's misinterpretation or, you know, people score. Uh, so you're back at, so they you're back from incomplete to A, got it. Um, right, let Jeff, me, let I me, would argue yeah. I should have always been A. So it's uh, we're just. <laughs> I got you. I got you. So all right. So uh, now let me ask: Can you explain the the um, what's going on in the state of Michigan with these these draconian laws that the Republican legislators have introduced? And if I'm not mistaken, your governor vetoed it. But yet they didn't. Uh, the other side didn't give up. And what what is this with putting it on the ballot? And then only it only takes four percent of those signing petition. Can you walk us through that? Yeah, it's uh, it's really something. It's uh, it's kind of a quirk in our our process that we have in Michigan uh, with uh, the voters. Very different than what you will find in nearly every other state. But let me start off saying there is a a long list of legislation the Republicans have put forward, passed through the Republican Senate and House that uh, make it more difficult uh, for for folks to to vote, plain and simple, including when you're dealing with absentee ballots, uh, which are, of course, an important tool to help people uh, vote and uh, be able to do it in their comfort of their home. And senior citizens in particular who've voted uh, uh, without problems let's say, without problems for years and years uh, to make sure that they can vote. But one of the provisions requires that senior to go into the clerk and, and show their, their ID and uh, picture ID before they get an absentee ballot, which you know, the whole Amazing. idea is you don't have to drive into the clerk uh, to get an absentee ballot, uh, especially if you're a senior citizen. That's just you know, an example of, of all these wow. uh, changes that are just about trying to make it more, more difficult uh, to, to vote. And so uh, the governor uh, wisely um, uh, vetoed them. And and I want to say as well, before that, you know, these these pass strictly on a party line. Not one Democrat buys into any of this stuff. This this is just the Republicans voting straight party. They have control of the of the House and the Senate in the state of Michigan. They voted straight party line. Uh, She uh, she uh, vetoed it and strong also strong uh, statements from our secretary of state that said this goes counter to what we want in a democracy where people have the ability to, to make sure their voice is heard and have the capability to do that. It was going the opposite direction. And so uh, she vetoed, the governor vetoed it. Uh, but in Michigan, we have a, a referendum process that if you get signatures, as you mentioned, uh, it will go to the, uh, the state legislature uh, and requiring them to act. Uh, and it basically circumvents the governor's veto. Bottom line, uh, that uh, that did <laughs> uh, comes that. law. 
I've yeah. never heard yeah. of that. And, 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 and I've never heard of that. Now, this is interesting because it was so crazy about what the Republicans are doing in the Michigan. So think about this. A senior citizen might be at a, in a home, a nursing home. Senior citizen. So you're telling us that one of the laws that they tried, that they were trying to change is that a senior citizen has to go into the clerk's office to get an absentee ballot. Now, in, in Washington, D.C., where I now live, um, you, they mailed absentee ballots to us. And, and I, right. I mean, it didn't take us two days to fill it out and, and mail it in. And there wasn't any fraud. What are they accusing it of, fraud? Or, 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 or is this just, once again, some draconian, draconian, excuse me, uh, law just to curtail the vote, just to make it more difficult. It yeah, yeah, yeah. Bottom line, yeah. B- bottom line. I mean, you know, absentee uh, ballots, especially mm. with seniors. They've been doing this for years. This is not like years. a new thing. Yeah, they've been doing it for years. And traditionally, in, in Michigan, uh, prior to the voters voting to require allow no reason absentee, uh, if you were a senior, you could that would be a reason to request the absentee, and you would send sure. in your paperwork and get it. And, and there was not fraud. There was never any, uh, you know, any widespread fraud. It was, it was uh, done uh, completely uh, legally. Uh, you know, made that doesn't mean that maybe one ballot was done wrong or two or whatever it may be. But there was no widespread fraud. Yeah, it was right. it went on for years and years. And then and then the people of the state of Michigan had an opportunity to vote to say, well, why can't just anybody uh, vote absentee if they want to do that? So you don't need to right. have a reason. It was either you were a senior or you were going to be out of town that day and you had to sign an affidavit that you weren't going to be in town. And it, vo- it passed uh, by a huge margin. The people of the state of Michigan spoke that, you know, this is really a great thing. And we did that in the last election. We had records amounts of absentee ballots cast and there was no fraud, absolutely no evidence of any kind of widespread fraud or anything that went wrong with the uh, the ballot. So this uh, this legislation is uh, clearly uh, a solution in search of a problem, and it's in search of a problem that doesn't exist. Last question, if you don't mind, and that is uh, your position, and I know Democrats are meeting on how to deal with the filibuster. Uh, have you taken a position or are you going, and, and I assume you're going to be part of the conversation and the negotiations, because you're not getting any support, obviously, from the, uh, the Republicans in the Senate. Uh, where are you on whether to carve out, uh, whether uh, we had Senator Kane on earlier, and he was talking about, you know, the Mr. Smith goes to Washington right. uh, type of filibuster where you got to hold the floor. Uh, your position at this point. Yeah, and, and I, I agree uh, with that aspect. Uh, I think, you know, first off, we just, we have to have a vote. So this is not a way to get around to vote. Right now, the way the filibuster rule uh, is written, uh, you can uh, say you're going to do a filibuster and then get on an airplane and fly home uh, for the weekend and nothing happens. You know, just completely obstruction. Uh, my view uh, on, on this is, one, the, the, the filibuster would potentially could bring people together theoretically it forces the minority to to uh be part of any legislation but but all of this assumes that the other side is is, and the minority party is acting in good faith if they aren't acting in good faith the filibuster all it does is uh, is a tool of obstruction and nothing gets done that's uh, important 
in the old days, and that's where I think Senator Kane's coming from, and we've got to look at you know ways that that we protect uh, rights. And, I, and, I, and I'm I'm about protecting minority rights uh, in the le- legislature. Minority parties certainly should have an opportunity to have their voices heard. Uh, and part of that is so we don't have a tyranny of the majority, but we also can't have a tyranny of the minority. I know ultimately it's about a vote. And so the, the talking filibuster that Senator Kane is talking about is that if the minority party has a problem with legislation and someone wants to get on the floor and, and talk about why it's bad and why they're not supporting it, that's not a bad thing. The American people should be able to hear a, a vigorous uh, debate. But bottom line, it comes to an end and you have to vote. And you have to put your votes up and let everybody vote yes or no, uh, and uh, we move on. But there has to be a vote. Right now, the procedure is so convoluted, you can never have a vote on incredibly important issues. And clearly, I don't yeah. know if there's any, anything, anything more important than voter protection. That yeah. is the fundamental, Mental, fundamental right. right we have in this country, and we need to vote. You, you can have vigorous debate, and that's the American system. Sometimes, you know, it's messy with vigorous debate but that's what makes this country great but eventually you vote and that's what i'm saying I'm, we got to vote let's put this bill on the floor debate it but then vote it up or down and we need to do it soon we can't wait and that's and that's exactly what i started 32 days ago uh, uh senator that's exactly the point i made i didn't I, I don't know how the vote would go but my god just just do it and then let the you know let the Whatever happens, but this is not a public policy issue. This is just a matter of just raw democracy, small d democracy. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, I'm with yeah. you, Joe, and I, I appreciate your your uh, your courage uh, and your efforts on this because uh, it is fundamental to our our nation. And Senator, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it, and I and I definitely wanted your voice heard, and uh, I, I I really appreciate. Uh, you coming on and talking to us as I always do. Have a great day. Give my best well, to you, the folks back in Detroit. They, you know, one thing about being a Detroiter, they never let you stop being a Detroiter. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's impossible to stop being a Detroiter. It's just physically impossible. I think impossible. <laughs> That's right. Thank you. God bless. Thank you so much. Okay. You can listen to yours truly, Madison, the Black Eagle, live every Monday through Friday on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.